Well, good evening. Jake read for us from Ephesians chapter 2 as our call to worship. We'll spend a lot of time in Ephesians chapter 2. I think that that passage, particularly verses 1 through 10, uh, really offer kind of the central theme, the thesis statement for the book of Ephesians. But as we get started, I want us to read, if you will, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. And I'd like for us to read the first, or verse 3 uh, through, through 14. Paul writes this, he says, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we hang to the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavishes upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this evening that we have to, to come together and to, to hear your word and to study the book of Ephesians. And God, we thank you for the spiritual blessings that you have, you have poured out on us in Christ. God, we thank you for the riches of your grace that you have so freely bestowed upon us. God, we thank you for the power of your word. We pray that, that your word would be central to this church. God, and that everything we do would be to the praise of your glory. In your name we pray, amen. This morning I was talking to Jake and we were talking about sermon titles. Jake was really proud of his sermon title this morning. And uh, I kind of made a, a, a comment like, yeah, you know, I, I don't usually think about sermon titles when I'm, when I'm preaching. And part of that's because the sermon title, as you see in the bulletin, is the good news of Ephesians. And next week is going to be the good news of Philippians and so on and so forth. But I did think of a, of a title, uh, my last bit of preparation and going through my notes one time. And so the, the title, or I guess the subtitle of this sermon is By God's Grace for God's Glory. And I think that's a central theme of Ephesians. See, Ephesians is a book about salvation, the salvation that comes from Christ. And what the author of Ephesians, what Paul, when he writes in Ephesians, emphasizes is that our salvation, salvation is by God's grace and it is for God's glory. Just there in that, in that introduction that we read, this, this beautiful introductory poem that, that Paul writes as the, as the beginning to the book, 
Ephesians, we see the phrase, to the praise of his glory, three times. I read in a commentary preparing for this sermon that, that, that the book of Ephesians uses the phrase, in Christ, or in him, over 35 times, more than any other book in the Bible. See, the, the book of Ephesians is a book about salvation, and salvation is by God's grace, and it is for God's glory. And when we think about that, we think about, about grace and glory. And one, one verse that, that I really love uh, here in Ephesians chapter 1 is, is verse 6, where it says, to the, to the praise of his glorious grace. To the praise of the glorious grace of God. When we read, when we read about God's grace, when we, when we see the work of God's grace, it should point us to the glory of God. The Puritan author Thomas Brooks writes this of, of grace and glory. It's a, a, a fairly well-known, uh, well fairly common quote that, that you may have heard before, but I'm going to read it here. It says, grace and glory differ very little. The one is the seed and the other is the flower. Grace is glory militant and glory is grace triumphant. What begins as grace in our lives should turn to glory for God. The whole purpose of the book of Ephesians is that we have been saved for a purpose. And we see that as, as we look through the overview of Ephesians. And we'll, we're going to have to go uh, quickly through a book that we could go very slowly through. We could sit here and, and just in those those verses, those 11 verses that, that, that I read, we could probably have 10 different sermons on. Not to mention when you get into Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 3, chapter 4, you could, you could really spend a year diving in to the depths of Ephesians. So we're going to have to look, look at a 30,000-foot view, talking about the overview uh, of Ephesians, the themes that, that Paul is writing to the, to the church at Ephesus. And when Paul structures this letter, there's really two main sections. There's really two main sections in, in the structure uh, of the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters of Ephesians are theological, right? The first three chapters deal with theology. And not just any theology, but, but particularly the theology of salvation, Chapters 1, chapters 2, chapters 3 tell about uh, the, the salvation experience that happens when you are saved. You, we have been taken from, from death and brought to life. And we get this rich theology. Redemptive, just the, the individual salvation, but, but God's cosmic and redemptive plan for, for all of creation is seen on display in Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. Those first three chapters are theological. And then we get into the second section of Ephesians, and that's chapters 4, 5, and 6, and those are the, the practical chapters of Ephesians. And so there's a division there of, of theology and application. Theology and application. And as Paul is writing, this is how he's thinking. He is talking about the theology of being saved, the theology of God's grace, the grace that takes us from, from death to life. 
And then he applies it. Then he applies it, right? If, then, or therefore, right? The, the chapters four through six are really, really identified by that word therefore, right? Because of this theological thing that has happened, because of the, the theology of our salvation, because of that we have been saved and, and our right understanding of salvation and what happens in the work of salvation, the mystery of Christ that is revealed to us. Because of that, then we should live according to God's plan. We should live according to how God orders the world. We should live according to how God commands us to. And so we see, we see theology and we see application. And I think the, I think the, a lesson here in understanding Paul's structure, a lesson here that we can take from, from understanding how Paul uh, arranges his argument is that a right understanding of who God is and a right understanding of what God has done should give way to right Christian living. Right? A right understanding of who God is and a right understanding of what God has done should give way to right Christian living. And when I say that, I'm intentionally using that word understanding, right? I'm not using the word knowledge because sometimes knowledge is not always understanding. Oftentimes, knowledge is not understanding. I think uh, an example of this, an example of knowledge without understanding is uh, I have, um, I, I think that I have at least a decent memory, right? So there are some things from, from high school or from back, in, back when I was in uh, in school that I can remember. Like, I can remember. I don't know why I can remember, but, you know, I, I can remember, you know, y equals mx plus b is the, how to find the slope of a line, right? I can remember some random math equations, and I know those things, but I don't understand them. I, I know that I could plug in these numbers and get, 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 get this, you know, a, a, I know that, right, from, from 10th grade math. I know the Pythagorean theorem, you know, a, a squared plus b squared equals c squared. I, I know that. But you know what I don't know? I don't understand it. I don't know why. And so I have a knowledge, but I don't have an understanding. And sometimes with theology, we have a, a, a knowledge, but we don't have an understanding. And a right, not just knowledge, but a right understanding of who God is and what God has done in the work of salvation should lead us to right Christian living. And so I have three points tonight. I have three points tonight that I think we see in the book of Ephesians. Point number one, we have been reconciled to God. Point number two, we have been made a new creation. And point number three, we have been united to one another in Christ. So we have been reconciled to God. We have been made a new creation. And we have been united to one another in Christ. I told you we'd spend a lot of time in Ephesians chapter 2. And, and we will, because I, I want to go through Ephesians 2 kind of as, a, uh, as an illustration for, for what Paul is doing in the whole book. Because this is kind of the thesis uh, passage in the book. And so point number one, we have been reconciled to God. And, and, and reconciliation means we have been made right with God. But before we can be made right with God, what, what Paul does is he, is he illustrates for us that we, were, we are not on our own 
right with God. On our own standing, we are not right with God. That's why Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And right there, if we stopped there, that's a really, really sad message. That's a really disheartening message if Paul ends the book of Ephesians right there because all that has told us, all that has done is it is an, an autopsy. It is a declaration of our death that we are dead in our trespasses. And it's not just a declaration of death. It's not just the signing of a death certificate, but it's an autopsy that shows why we are dead. We are dead because of sin, because of following the course of the world, because of the the spirit uh, of the son of disobedience that is at work in us. And there is is death. And then we get this verse in verse 4. It says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in the kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And what we see here, what we see Paul doing in this passage, what we see Paul write a glory of God's grace and the glory of God's work is it is a, a reversal of the natural course of things. What I mean by a reversal of the natural course of things is it we see in, in our observable world, things move from life to death, and they move from death to decay. I use this example a lot, and I think Jess hates it, and that's okay. Uh, hopefully it's okay. <laughs> About a year and a half ago, I walked out onto my porch, and I noticed something foul. And uh, after some more exploring through, there's some woods in my backyard, and after some, some digging around and following uh, a scent, I found that there was a dead deer in our backyard. And that's not really ideal, especially if it's uh, already started to smell. And after uh, a, another day, there were buzzards all over our house. After another two days, there were even more buzzards. And then after about four days, there was nothing. It's gone, no smell, no, no buzzards, no signs of a deer. And you know what never once went through my mind? You know what I never once thought, what Jess never thought happened to that deer? We never once considered that, oh, well, maybe the deer just hopped back up and got better and ran off. Right? Why? Because we, because we know that nothing in our observable world goes from, from death to life. Things go from, from life to death and then from death to decay. That's what we observe. That's what we see. That's what we know. 
But what Paul is writing here, that the, the, the miraculous work of Christ in salvation is a reversal of that natural order of things that we see. The, the, the miracle of the work of salvation is taking something that is dead and making it alive. That we have been reconciled to God. And that reconciliation starts with us being dead in our transgression and ends with us being united with Christ through the work of his grace and through the work of salvation. We are reconciled by God to God. We are reconciled to Christ by Christ. Christ has made us alive. We have the, the riches of God's grace have been poured out upon us. We have been reconciled to God. The good work of Ephesians, man, the, that's the easiest sermon title you could be given. I've had to preach some hard ones through the Old Testament where you have to really search, man, what is the good news of Amos? Man, but what is the good news of Ephesians? That is about as easy as it gets. The good news of Ephesians is that we were once dead in our transgressions, in our trespasses and sins. But God is rich in mercy and he has reconciled us to himself by his power and for his glory. The good news of, of Ephesians is that we have reconciliation with God. And that reconciliation with God, that grace that God has, by, by which God has saved us, is at work in us. Which leads to my second point, that, that we have been made a new creation. See, note this in, 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 here at the, in, in verse 8, in verse 8 through 10 uh, of chapter 2. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, we have been saved not by our works, but we have been saved for good works. God has made us alive, and being made alive means that we are a new creation. And that new creation that new creation has a, a, a purpose. See, God saved you for a purpose. And that purpose is the good works that Christ has set out beforehand. And those good works are for his glory. So you see that word used, the word there, workmanship. We are his, we are his workmanship. Some other, other versions use the word handiwork. Other versions even use the word masterpiece. Now, it comes from, a, from, comes from a Greek word that's only used one other time in the Bible. Right? The word here that, that's used in, in Ephesians chapter 2 for, for workmanship or handiwork or, or, or masterpiece is only used one other time in the Bible. And it's, it's in Romans chapter 1 when it's talking about all of the heavens and all of the creation is God's workmanship that, that tells um, that the truth of God is, is written in his creation, written in his, his workmanship. And that's that same word that Paul uses in Romans to, to illustrate how all of creation testifies to the glory of God. That's Romans chapter 1. Now in Ephesians chapter 2, we see the new creation 
of God, the new creation of God, that we are made a new creation. And that new creation, in the same way that that the heavens and the earth and the stars and the expanse of the universe testifies to to the goodness and the glory of God, the new creation, the new creation that we have been made new in salvation, that we have been made new in Christ, testifies to the goodness and the glory of God. See, we aren't saved by our works, but we are a new creation. And because we are a new creation, that changes the way that we live. Salvation is a fundamental and total transformation of our heart. It's a transformation of of our identity. It's a transformation of who we are. I am no longer the man who, the dead man. I'm no longer, the, the, the old me has died. The, the, the man who walked in, in the trespasses and sins and followed the course of this world and was filled with the spirit of disobedience, that man is dead and a new creation has been made. And so that means I should live differently as a response to the gospel, as a response to the work of salvation that has been done in me. I have been given new life. Ephesians chapter 4 writes about about the new life that we have been given. Paul writes in in, in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22, he says, he says, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we are called to to put off the old self, the the old version of ourselves that was dead, that that, that was walking in in sin and following the course of disobedience. We are called to, to put those things off and put on the new creation. We are called to live as a new creation. We're called to walk in love, to walk in in unity with one another, and to live according to how God has called us to live, that Christians should be marked by Christ-likeness. See, we no longer follow the son of disobedience. Now we follow the son of God. Our mark, our marked by, mark should not be marked by, by, by a spirit of disobedience. It should be marked by the spirit of the living God. See, we are a new creation, made new in Christ. Third point, that in Christ We have been united to one another. That we have been united to one another in Christ. Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 4. If you look here at verse 11 through, through 16. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes." Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way 
into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up together in love. Now of that last sentence, of those last two verses, uh, the, the, the great preacher and theologian Martin Lloyd-Jones says this might be the most confusing sentence in the whole Bible. <laughs> when you try to track uh, Paul's, Paul's line of thinking here, but what he's saying is that, that the body of Christ grows up together grows in unity together, and builds itself up in love, right? And the head of the body, the head of the body, that is the church, the head of the body is Christ. And we all are united in Christ as one body. The book of Ephesians emphasizes that we have been united with one another, that a response to the gospel, a response to, to the work of salvation, and also to the redemptive work that, uh, the, the redemptive work that God uh, has laid out uh, in the future, the, that, God has, um, that God has promised to, to redeem and restore all things. The church plays a part of that. The church acts as, as a, a, a body in that, that we are united with one another. That part of Christ-like living, part of Christian living, painted with one, uh, living in a way that follows after Christ is being united with one another in love. Christians need to be marked by love. Christians need to be marked by unity. And why is unity important in Christian living? And I think, I think this, this passage is, is so clear on this. The, the reason that, that, that we have unity is to build one another up so that we are made spiritually mature. This process of sanctification, right? We have been saved, that salvation, justification, those things, our justification happens in an instant. In an instant, you are made right with God, justified in him. But that sanctification process is a process that happens over time as we are made mature, as we grow in our spiritual knowledge and understanding. As we grow in love. And God gives us the church. God gives us his, his people. His body. He is the head and we are the body. And the body is to build itself up in love. That we, are, that we might be made spiritually mature. That we might not be deceived by the deceitful schemes that, that Paul writes about in, in verse 14. That we're not tossed to and fro by, by every, every wave. So that's a mark of the, the spiritually immature, right? The spiritually immature are the ones who are deceived by every scheme. The, the spiritually immature are the ones who are tossed to and fro by every wave. And who's at risk here? Who is at risk of, of being tossed to and fro, of being deceived? Well, the, the, the one is isolated from the body. See, the, the body of Christ it, it serves to, to protect the flock. It's kind of like, a, a, over in, um, like over in Africa where, where you'll have lions that, that hunt the gazelle. Now, which, which gazelle does the lion go after? The one that falls away from the pack, the one that strays uh, away from the pack. And so God gives us the body of Christ 
and unites us together with one another in Christ for our, the purpose of our spiritual maturity, that we are protected, that we build one another up, and all of this is marked by the love of Christ. And when Paul writes about, about unity in the church, particularly to the church at Ephesians, I think he understands this very well because Paul's not writing to a, to a group of strangers. Paul is writing to people who he lived with for, for two years. Paul ministered in Ephesus. Paul knew the church at Ephesus well. In fact, you, you'll read in Acts, in one of Paul's uh, final missionary journeys, he insists on traveling out of his way so that he can be reunited with the, with the elders at the church at Ephesus because of the love that he has for them. Paul is writing to people who he loves, that he, un, that he knows understand the importance of unity. He knows, understand that, that, that in Christ we have been made a new creation, that, that we have been reconciled to God and we are to be united with one another. The book of Ephesians is of the God, a good book. It's such a good presentation of the gospel. Because what Paul does in, in Ephesians is he emphasizes the new creation that, that we are that Christ has made us. I think Ephesians chapter 2 is really such a, such a central theme to the book of Ephesians because you see all of that illustrated just in those, those first 10 verses. You see the reconciliation to God. You see, you see us being reconciled, us being made right with God here in the first four verses of, of Ephesians 2. You see, you see us being made a new creation and that new creation living out a purpose and living out the purpose uh, that, that, that Christ has set out beforehand. And then we see the, the, the unity with one another, the unity with the body of believers. So as we listen to this, as, as we hear this, the, the call, the response to, to the book of Ephesians is, if you have not been reconciled to God, if you, are, you have not been made a new creation, you have not received salvation, then turn to Christ. It is not your good works that will save you. Nothing that you can do will save you. You may be sitting there not even realizing that, that you need a Savior, you're not even realizing that, well, I'm not that bad. I, you know, yeah, you know, my, my good works saved me, but I think my good works kind of balance out with my bad works. What Paul writes, it says, no, yeah, outside of Christ, we are, we are dead in our transgressions and dead in our trespasses. The only thing that can save us is the work and the power of Jesus Christ. The response to the book of Ephesians for those who are outside uh, of, of the work of Christ, of those who are, who are not in Christ, is to turn to Christ. And urging to turn to Christ, who is rich in mercy. and He so freely pours that mercy out on all who run to him and all who turn to him. And then the call of the book of Ephesians, the response of the book of Ephesians for, for, for the believer is to, one, be encouraged and boldened by the gospel, 
Right? When I read this, I'm reminded this is who I once was. When I read, but you were dead in trespasses and sins, that was me. I'm encouraged that I am not that man anymore. And I'm not that man anymore because of the work of Christ. And so the response of the believer is, one, to be encouraged and to be emboldened by the gospel. And then turn to right Christian living. Just as Paul illustrates in, in the book, in, in, in having the first three chapters being all about salvation, the, the final four chapters, or the final three chapters uh, being instructional. That, that being made a new creation means that we are to live as a new creation. We have been made alive. Do not return to death, but live for Christ. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for our time here together. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that, that you have made us alive. God, we thank you for the immeasurable riches of your grace. And God, that you pour out your grace so freely upon us. God, we pray that we would be a church that is united in love, that we would live as a new creation. Pray these things in your name. Amen.